chapter ten of rousseau and education according to nature by thomas davidson this librivox recording is in the public domain rousseau's educational theories manhood emil and sophie or the solitaries dein eigen ist alles dein heil wie dein unheil dein wollen und wachen dein sinnen und sein jordan dia nibelung for man is man and master of his fate tennyson idols of the king deus ipsi voluntatum cogere non potest thomas aquinas there is no house prepared for thee after thy death but that of which before thy death thou hast been the architect al ghazali there can be little doubt that when rousseau finished emile in seventeen sixty two he meant to end it like other fairy tales with and so they were married and lived happily ever after in course of time however it seems to have struck him that an education which was good enough for well-mated prosperous and happy people might be utterly useless for people otherwise situated accordingly in emile and sophie or the solitaries footnote this work which was never finished takes a form of a series of letters from emile to his tutor End of footnote. he undertook to show how his system would work in adversity to do this he had to break in upon the peaceful patriarchal life of his wards and to render both of them profoundly miserable in fact to drive them to the brink of despair after several years of undimmed happiness during which a son and a daughter are born to them emile and sophie are suddenly visited with a series of calamities all the more terrible that the tutor has ceased to live with them first sophie's father dies then her mother and lastly her idolized daughter untrained to misfortune the poor young wife is utterly inconsolable and fills the house and its surroundings with tears sobs and cries in order to give her a needful change of environment her husband who now for the first time has what is called business in the capital resolves to remove her thither and take her to be near a friend whose acquaintance she has made in the neighbourhood gloomy forebodings seize upon emile as he approaches the city but he shakes them off and proceeds in the course of his two years residence amid the corrupting influences of city life his whole being undergoes a change unguarded now by any tutor and not subject to obedience he forms new connections acquires frivolous taste becomes a pleasure seeker and though never unfaithful to his wife finds his heart gradually losing all warmth and force he becomes gallant without tenderness a stoic without virtues a sage given up to follies at last he finds or thinks he finds that he no longer loves his wife meanwhile his wife as inexperienced as himself and in need of distraction to lighten her sorrow allows herself to be drawn by her friend into corrupt society where she becomes familiarized not only with frivolity but with vice so that she gradually loses interest both in her husband and in her son husband and wife though still living under the same roof now become estranged from each other and lead separate lives finally sophie under the influence of her corrupt virtue despising friend and apparently with but slight blame on her own part falls from virtue footnote we are not permitted to know the details of this fall no never writes emile shall these hideous details escape my pen or my mouth it were too unjust to the memory of the worthiest of women worldly morality snare of vice and of example treason of false friendship 
which of us is proof against you End of footnote. from this moment she avoids all society and sits lonely gloomy and tearful in her own room she expresses great horror of her friend and her friend's husband and emil is obliged to forbid them the house alarm at his wife's condition now fans into a flame his smouldering affection and he tries to re-establish the old intimate relations but finds her completely cold and irresponsive his persistent attentions however finally move her but instead of deceiving him as she might easily have done she heroically tells him i am no longer anything to you i am enceinte darts into her room and closes the door after her emile completely crushed and annihilated by this revelation wanders about for thirty-six hours like a madman without sleep or food devoured by the most poignant reflections and regrets at last he reaches a village where he sups and sleeps soundly the next day he finds his way to a city and enters the shop of a carpenter as an ordinary workman here he gradually comes to himself realizes the nobility of his wife's declaration and begins to feel that she may after all be far less culpable than he has thought unable to trust her however he resolves to remove his son from her keeping and is making preparations to do this when he learns that a lady with a child has come and unseen watched him at his work that she has shown signs of great mental anguish and that after kneeling for a long time she has risen and pressing her cheek against that of the child exclaimed in stifled tones no he will never take your mother from you emile at once recognized as the secret visitors to have been his wife and child and is struck by his wife's sad words they present to him a new aspect of the case while he might be willing to remove the child from the guilty mother he cannot think of removing the mother from the innocent child so he resolves to do nothing in the matter having now however become an object of curiosity to his fellow-workmen and their wives he resolves to avoid recognition and go further off in search of employment he accordingly makes his way on foot to marseilles and takes passage on board a vessel bound for naples along with a number of other persons the skipper proves to be a jolly rollicking fellow who does his best to keep his passengers in good humour but emile who knows about the sun's course and about compasses begins after a time to suspect that they are not going in the direction of their proposed destination his suspicion is soon confirmed for no sooner do they come in sight of land than they see a corsair coming toward them being without means of defence they are soon boarded by the corsair's crew whereupon it becomes evident that the skipper is in collusion with them and that all the passengers having been drawn into a trap are destined to be the slaves of the moors the skipper does not long enjoy the success of his roguery for emile strikes off his head with a sabre and sends it flying into the sea by this act he earns the respect of his captors and is not put in irons like the rest of the passengers on landing however he is sent like the rest to the galleys here having time to reflect he concludes that slavery after all is nothing so terrible who can make me wear two chains he says did i not wear one before there is no real servitude but that to nature men are only its instruments whether a master finish me or a rock crush me the event is the same in my eyes and the worst that can happen to me in slavery is not to be able to move a tyrant more than a stone and indeed if i had my freedom what should i do with it in my present state what can i desire alas to prevent me from sinking into annihilation i need to be animated with another's will in default of my own this piece of characteristic russellian sophistry which would justify any form of slavery convinces him that his change of condition is more apparent than real that if liberty consisted in doing what one wishes no man would be free that all are weak dependent upon things and upon stern necessity 
that he who can best will all that it ordains is the most free since he is never forced to do what he does not wish footnote here we have the germs of the schopenhauering doctrine that true freedom consists in renouncing all will even the will to live which means that to be happy is not to be at all the last conclusion of pessimism in the footnote and so says emile the days of my slavery were the days of my sovereignty and i had never more authority over myself than when i was wearing the chains of the barbarians emile comes into the possession of several masters and is at first treated kindly his owners hoping that friends will ransom him but as no efforts are made in his behalf he is sent to work and works cheerfully and well while his companions reared to be gentlemen and philosophers and not to be men only suffer and bewail their lot many of them dying off from ill treatment at last emile himself comes under a brutal overseer who observing him attempt to help his weaker comrades so overloads him with work that he feels he must soon succumb under it seeing that at the worst he can only die he foments a rebellion among his fellows which the overseer vainly tries to lash down this brings the owner upon the scene emile explains the facts to him and appeals to his interest in such a way that the cruel overseer and emile are made to exchange places the latter proves an excellent overseer and his conduct getting noised abroad comes to the ears of the day of algiers who desires to see him this day a sensible man who has worked his way up from the ranks having taken a liking to him receives him as a gift from his master thus in every relation of life even the most difficult and trying emile finds the value of his education and its superiority to that of other men the work breaks off at this point but its aim and outcome are obvious enough the providential tutor who has evidently foreseen everything now goes to work to bring good out of evil thanks to the memory of a genovese pastor who was on friendly terms with rousseau in his closing years we know in a general way the close a succession of events brings emile to a desert island he finds on the shore a temple adorned with flowers and delicious fruits he visits it every day and every day he finds it decked out sophie is the priestess emile does not know this what events can have brought her to these regions the consequences of her fault and the actions which efface it sophie finally reveals herself emile learns the tissue of fraud and violence to which she has succumbed but unworthy henceforth to be his mate she desires to be his slave and to serve her rival this rival is a young person whom other events have joined to the lot of the former husband and wife this rival marries emile sophie is present at the wedding finally after some days spent in the bitterness of repentance and the torments of ever-renewed pain all the more keen that sophie makes it a duty and a point of honour to dissemble it emile and sophie's rival confess that their marriage was only a make-believe this pretended rival has a husband of her own who is introduced to sophie and sophie gets back her own who not only forgives her involuntary fault atoned for by the most cruel sufferings and redeemed by repentance but values and honours in her virtues of which he had had but a faint notion before they had found opportunity to unfold to their full extent thus rousseau has proved to his satisfaction two things one that his education according to nature will enable men and women to stand the test of the severest adversity defying not only suffering but also public opinion and two that the life of cities is altogether corrupt and corrupting what becomes of emile and sophie after their reconciliation we are not told but perhaps we may conclude that finding themselves self-sufficient they conclude to end their days living after the fashion of robinson crusoe or rather of franz von kleist's Samori and his mate on their desert island thus returning to a state of nature whose charms are heightened by the bitter experiences of civilization it is just possible however that we have in the later books of the new Eloise a picture of their conjugal happiness julie and sophie have much in common even their fall End of chapter ten